0: innovation is all around us in fact everyone innovates often unbeknownst to themselves many mistakenly assume that innovation is either a big capital project a figurative bolt of lightning that brings inspiration or the province of some exceptionally gifted person this is the myth of innovation but you can innovate as well you are listening to innovation nation the podcast where top executives and industry experts are sharing their insights on harnessing the power of innovation. We're here to help you stay ahead of the curve by driving your own innovation. Here's your host, Jasmine Marte-Rosen. Welcome to Tuesday Innovation Nation. Our guest today is Bracken who's the CEO of Logitech. He joins us from uh, Silicon Valley, though the company is also headquartered in Lausanne, Switzerland. Welcome, Bracken. How are you doing today?
1: Just fantastic. It's so nice to be here with you.
0: Well, we appreciate your joining us, and uh, Logitech has done tremendous amounts of innovations in both product development and also areas of sustainability. Can you share what drives the innovation, how you approach it within the organization?
1: Well, I mean, I'll make a a somewhat long story, medium-sized. We we really approach it two ways, I would say, if you're going to really summarize. The first is through design. And design is not decorating stuff at the end of the process. It's really trying to find things that are super desirable for users based on deep understanding of what they're all about, and then figuring out what's feasible from a technology standpoint and what's what makes sense from a, an, an economic standpoint. But always leading with understanding the user and building things that we we try to build things that, that the users really love. I see two things because that's the first. But the second one is we're very we're underneath uh, underneath that beautiful uh, facade. Which is not really facade. But underneath the exterior, our, our design is probably a little more centered than most companies on engineering because we really do try to unlock the power of engineering through our design. So it's uh it's a combination. So we we are exploring new new technologies that can help us push the limits on what users want all the time.
0: So how do you drive that design innovation? Like do you do it in consultation with customers or akin to Apple where it's really done in back office? Kind of innovate from within. For instance, Apple is dr- driven historically during the Steve Jobs time by Japanese philosophy of simplicity. What's guiding you in that innovation?
1: We have uh, we have princ- We have our own principles of design, and they're very user centered. But they're but they're design principles. So, for example, the first thing is we always want to have one big idea, and then we want then that's that's number one. That might sound simple, but we could talk more about it second one would be, we want the design to have a soul, and what does that mean? It has some central uh, differentiating identity that expresses itself through every layer of the experience. So, and I could go through more, it also should be just brutally simple. You know, we we work to get things minimal to a level that is really brutal, where you make, you know, our whole principle is, you know, we should be constantly trying to remove steps. So those design principles are really owned by a uh, company and, and led by my head of design, and then pushed through our design organization through everything we do, all, especially all the products experience we bring to market.
0: Wonderful. So you've come to the public attention with all the work you've done in the area of sustainability, and there's a lot of social good that has come out of it, from beach cleanup in California to carbon-related projects to extra days for volunteering. What's the inspiration for that, and how do you use that to connect with the organization's self renewal and innovation?
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the, it, our our social responsibility is really it goes back for the most part to our values. There are two values in particular that we we, we officially named them this year, but you know I would say they've kind of flowed through the company for a long time. One one earlier than the other. The first one is helping save the planet. You know, we're, we're we've been focused on environmental responsibility early on, but especially since about 2008 or 9, I think we published our first sustainability report about 2009. And since then, we've really been working at it. We've been working at uh, renewable fuel sources and and uh, just every element of trying to remove things that can go into the environment, either carbon or plastic. And and so this is a fundamental value. It's the other fundamental value we've called out is equality, which, which is really social justice and, diversity, equity, inclusion, and, and belonging, which is a new thing that we should be adding to that. So we really, this this is kind of a, a new, very explicit value. We always were strong on, you know, making sure that we, we try to be fair and gender and, and, and create diversity. But, you know, post-George Floyd, we just declared that it's, it's gonna be a fundamental value because it should be a fundamental right. So those are two. And then the others are really much more employee driven, You know. And they bring us areas that they're really passionate about. And we love for people to have things they're passionate about all over the world. And so we, they just run with things when they find something local that they believe in.
0: Thank you. So, Bratton, you divide your time between Switzerland and the United States because the of the location And um, Logitech is truly a global company with a global footprint. Speaking of diversity, how do you incorporate different cultural perspectives, again, into the company culture and to grow the company through staying innovative?
1: Well, I think, you know, a lot of technology has an advantage in it. We were we grew up almost in in, uh, kind of right alongside the computing, the computer industry, and that grew up all over the world. So we walked with them as they walked around the world and built new businesses all over. And because we did that, we we ended up with kind of, I would say, kind of a if I wanted to oversimplify it, we're kind of tripolar. We've got the Switzerland, the precision, the reliability, the the high end premium innovation technology. You've got the entrepreneurship that, that of here in Silicon Valley and the U.S. in general, this sort of knock it down, make it happen kind of entrepreneurship, and then the sheer speed of China. and And I think you know we we I, I would I couldn't pretend to say what percentage of our formula is each of those, and I'd love to be faster and everything, but I do think relative to other companies, I feel those three more than in this company.
0: So you're using different cultural attitudes almost to foster greater cohesion and innovation for your growth footprint.
1: Well, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if I would exactly say that. I would say the thing that we use that brings it all together is great design and design thinking. So we really get close to users in different parts of the world. We try to really, um, we develop products. Uh, we've, we have developed products in China for China we, we've developed products in the U.S. that are primarily U.S. products in Europe, too. But our portfolio is, is you know, it's, it's pretty complex. And so we are, we're able to manage a lot of complexity. And I think that does give us an advantage in different parts of the world. It's amazing how different different parts of the world are in terms of, for example, what mouse is the, is the biggest.
0: So with, uh, you know, AI, how are you working? I mean, AI has been around really for a long time. or people are just talking about it because it's more in the public consciousness and it's integrated into so many areas of our lives that most people don't even think about it yeah you have any strategy to approach it or is it just organically evolving for innovation
1: well it's it's kind of grown up as the businesses we've we've, uh gone into have needed them and it's making its way into our internal processes but uh, maybe the most uh no point intended but visible is in our video business you know we we bought a a small company that was doing uh, it was actually since you're, you're, you're you I think the company's based in Germany, it was, it was about a small company that was was supporting the uh the, the cameras that, that were on the German Autobahn and they were watching for people's cars catching fire, people getting out of their cars. So they had a small team from the University of Zurich that were uh, or maybe I think it was ZDF. But anyway, they were they were watching these cameras, they trained them to watch and look for these uh, anomalies and then alert the people who could go help the, whoever was in trouble and so we bought that company and we they could they finished that contract and then we brought them in and we put them inside homes and we had them focus inside living rooms and dining rooms and kitchens and and we took that technology kept evolving it it was super super state-of-the-art and we then brought it into video conferencing now it, it detects uh lots of things in a video conference uh, anonymized of course it'll detect how many people in a room and what motion's happening and It'll detect the light and reset it. We've also done the same thing with audio. So yeah AI is, as you said, it's been around a long time, but I think it's getting more and more useful as as we get more and more comfortable with it.
0: So on a slightly different note, like Jamie Diamond, you majored in English for your undergrad degree at Hendrick's College.
1: I did not know Jamie Diamond majored in English?
0: Yes, he did too. And just like you, he went to Harvard Business School, so.
1: Well, you know, that's a funny story. I met Jamie Dimon in the department of business school. Well, he, he would not remember, nor does he know anything about me. But I was in my in HBS class, and Jamie Dimon was brought in by one of my professors to speak. But he was not the speaker. He, it was his boss, a guy named Andrew Weil, or Andy Weil, who uh, was the famous, uh, another very famous guy in the financial services industry. Yeah, and they, yeah, yeah exactly. And... And they spoke, and and I mean a very stupid comment. And they were both, especially Andy, was so generous. But I always thought Jamie Dimon was uh, was really cool back then. So he, and he's still cool.
0: Well, he's arguably the he's most prominent cool of in the U.S. today.
1: Jasmine, now I realize how cool he really is. He was an English major,
0: so
1: <laughs> they let him into that job, so, like me. See,
0: there you go. Now with that, I mean, the, there was a lot of negativity towards liberal arts education. How have you used that? Obviously, both you and Jamie are super successful. Can you share how that has helped you in your career
1: growth? Well, I would love to speak to Jamie, but (laughs) I don't know, I'll speak to myself. It's really been helpful for me. When I went to college, I was much better in English, or math than I was in English. So I knew I wanted to get a leadership role, so I decided, boy, I better get this communication thing down. And so, and I've been working ever since. But I, so I majored in English and I, and I was really working on speaking and writing better. And thought that's a good way to do it. It ended up being a, super fun. But then I took enough uh, accounting and economics that I get a, a, you know, job coming out of school because that was also part of my game plan. So I went into public accounting right out of school, which is, I think I was the only English major in the public accounting industry the year that I graduated. I may still be the only one that ever did. If anybody's listening and they did, please let me know.
0: So it served you well, uh, and it, it's a great connection to speaking, writing, and communicating, right? Communication was ranked as the top skill CEOs are looking for on their teams. Do you agree with that, or what skills are you looking for?
1: Uh, you know, I, there are a lot of great skills. I'd say the number one attribute that is just kind of threshold level is integrity. And then I would say, uh, I think communication is important, and I have a lot of good communicators on my team. I think. I think there there are other things that I would say. I I think passion, you know, really caring about something. Uh, it, 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 it's usually people, but it can also be about some impact in the world. I think that's a game changer, you know. And then communication is the way you translate your passion, or the way you translate a good idea. So so communication is important, but I would say it's just it's the it's the megaphone.
0: Excellent. Now you mentioned integrity a second ago, right? It's interesting. I recall writing on one performance review years ago that how do you measure integrity on a scale? You either have it or you don't. Yeah. Thoughts on grading integrity?
1: Uh yeah, I mean I do think it's it's binary. I mean it's either it's zero and one, you know. Integrity is. I do think there are people who do things that other people would interpret as not having integrity, but they do it without understanding what they're doing. Now, I don't want to make excuses for that, but I, but I think that's why education is so important. I think in this world, for example, of uh, with Black Lives Matter, with you know, diversity and inclusion, I think we have such an education job ahead of us. We're we're all committing, you know, microaggressions and not being good allies and all those things that we don't, many of us don't realize what we're doing and. And uh, some do, but most, vast majority don't. And education can solve that very quickly. And you put the average person who's got a big heart and has integrity uh, in front of the right information and they will change quickly. And we, and I see
0: it. Yeah, you're raising very important issues. Sometimes we're all oblivious, right, to the privilege we may have that we we'll take for granted.
1: Big time, 100%. You know, I think it's one of those things that is as uh, an average white male in, in the world Uh, at least in America, you know, no matter how much you grew up with or didn't, you did have enormous advantages versus almost every other, actually every other group. And so I'll just focus on that, 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 that group right there. I mean, you know, it's, nobody taught most of us that we were given all this privilege, you could say, gosh, we should have realized it, but many of us didn't. So I think it's, it's really important that we make up for lost time, you know, and, and uh, we can do it and everybody's on their way now. I think there's a lot of momentum to make sure that people are getting trained and I'm not Pollyanna about it. I think it's gonna be hard work and there will be two steps forward and one step back and and there will be other things, bad things that happen, but we just gotta, by sheer force, line up the plans and execute.
0: So I'm hearing you say we have to be intentional about it.
1: Very. I'm not sure there are two more important things right now in the world than and this one will probably get somebody to send you a letter and ask ask them to edit your next guest's choices. But Go ahead. I'm not sure there are two more important things in the world than saving the planet so that those who, who were born after, you know, after we did, sometimes long after we did, are are able to, to live healthily in a healthy way on it. And then making sure that we unlock the incredible power of every individual, which is why diversity equity inclusion and belonging are so critical but it's critical to unlock it in everybody regardless of who they are and i think that those are the two like fundamental things that we need to really nail
0: i actually agree with you a hundred percent especially if you take a long-term view for the future like what planet are we leaving for our descendants for generations that will follow us how are we treating people now a lot of the time all the negativity happens because of of separation people are divorced from the idea of feeling the impact of what they're doing or for that matter failing to do and what impact it has how do you increase the sensitivity how do you sensitize people more so everybody feels more empowered individually to do their part and take responsibility
1: you know it's a it's it's interesting i mean i think there's a whole bunch of answers to that question i think the first one is education, because once you realize that, you know, it's first of all, you know, we're not a, we're not a, a, a world of individuals. We're a collective organism. You know, we're operating together in a, in a way that we don't, we take for granted, but you know, actually, you know, it's really interesting. You know, when you look at an ant hill, you sort of see a bunch of ants somehow, somehow communicating and carrying stuff back and forth. And you sort of see them as this thing that's made up of a bunch of individuals. When you see another human, you see a completely different person than yourself. You don't see something that looks exactly like you from afar. And I think we're actually much more like ants than we think. We're we're an organism, you know. And when we work well together, magic happens. And when we, when we work well together doing bad things, horror happens. And we work well together to solve problems. We can solve almost anything. And so I think, you know, education's a piece of it. I think the uh, giving people uh, believe if you're a leader you know like putting yourself out there and just being honest about what you're where you are on this how you know you know vulnerability is becoming like a the new the new cool thing to be but you know just being honest being very very authentic about it because some of these topics are really hard to talk about if you've never talked about it much before and you need to be comfortable screwing up you know making mistakes and having people call you out on it and apologizing and and trying to make up for it and then correcting yourself and you know we just all need to get comfortable with these uh what are you know hard conversations in the beginning but they become easier and once they're easy you can really solve the problems.
0: you're absolutely right and so education is totally critical to bringing awareness and also you're right stepping out of the comfort level right are these walls that people build around themselves sometimes without even trying to break those walls and how do you foster breakdown of the silos organizationally even on those matters
1: you know, it's, a, it's an interesting analogy you know because I, I sort of think if you think about it um we're the master wall builders you know human beings are we we're born completely free of any trace of uh bias or or anything we feel connected probably to the air around us and then as we get older, older we identify with certain types of people we identify with where we're from, they're great. I mean, it's, it helps us give our identity. We're building walls. When we go to work, you know, we build our companies, we we build a strategy, we build a vision, we use the word build all the time. And then, and we're really building these walls and those walls are super helpful because they're guiding, they protect you, they lead you and lead others in the right direction. And then one day those walls are in the wrong place and they're restrictive and actually they're, they're keeping people out that should get in. Those people can't get in anymore because the walls are too big and they're too thick and they're too tall. We have to break down the walls, and and you know then you have to break all the walls down. You have to be unafraid to break down what you relied on, what your whole identity was built on. Those walls, and you have to break them all down and start over again. And it's that's really what that's really super exciting.
0: It's interesting you're saying you, you're right. We're all born without any preconceived notions, which is the concept of veil of ignorance that John Rawls, the philosopher, promotes, right? The only way to be totally just is not to know what you're like, what you're made of, anything about yourself. How, I, I,
1: I can prove that I don't just have a veil of ignorance, I have real ignorance. I'm not even sure who John Walls is. <laughs> this is not a veil.
0: That's a courageous statement of the year, probably. And, and if we all actually agree to that, you know, all I know that I do not know, you know, yes. the philosophical, uh, you know, ancient Greek,
1: not know. <laughs> I'm putting it out there. I do not know.
0: <laughs> so it's about breaking down, you know, how do you then get people to coalesce around a notion that starts out as kind of, starts out as alien to them?
1: How do you get them to coalesce? Well, you know, I mean, I hate to be repetitive, but I, but I think, you know, so much of it is, if you, you know, we're, we're, um, I, you know, I've been through a bunch of, let's let's talk about the environment because we talked about um social justice and dei and 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 let's talk about the environment for a minute i think the environment's one of those things where you know it's it's so funny you know it's it's amazing how you subtly move from one uh square on this chessboard that we all live life on to another one without completely realizing you've moved you know i remember growing up i this is going to sound absolutely horrible and i'll probably get hate mail if you can find me But I remember growing up when people would literally like you'd get in the car and when I was like six or seven years old, I'm 57 now, people would get in the car, they'd they'd gone to McDonald's and they would take the McDonald's wrapper, they'd eat the, they'd open up the little, little hamburger, they'd take the little plastic or paper wrapper and they'd just throw it out the window at the end. You know, then I remember there was a period where it was like, man, there's a lot of trash on the ground. Why why don't we stop that? You know, And there was like some public service announcements to stop it. Then I saw um, Mad Men on TV, you know, a few years ago. maybe. Five seven years ago or something, I remember they showed. You know, madman is, is situated in the '60s, I think, or late '50s, yeah. early 60s, about the time I was born. You know, and, and it shows a family, this really nice family, and you know, they go on a picnic in the park. They open up their picnic basket, they get ready, they all eat. Then there, it's like this romantic moment for this family moment, you know. And then they all get up. Mom and Dad say, "Okay, it's time to go." They're they're all on their way out. And the kids just throw all the trash on the, the side. And you look at it and you go, oh, my God, I can't believe they ever did that. And then you're like, no, wait a minute. We did that, too.
0: And that was the the way our attitudes changed was because, because of the Adopt a Highway movement, by the way, back then. Oh, you
1: know, I think you're right about that. I remember that. That was really cool.
0: Yeah, so that it, drove the that
1: change. I remember that. That was really nice.
0: Wow. I could talk to you literally for hours, so...
1: Well, your, your you. audience would disappear it would be only you me and nicole who's there well,
0: that would be great would be yeah. <laughs> any closing thoughts
1: uh no you know i i think uh we've we've talked about the things that really matter probably not enough and you know but but if we if we manage to save the planet earth which i'm pretty sure we can do for another at least hundreds and maybe thousands of years and then, then who knows maybe forever uh and we can really make this place great for everybody on it instead of great for a few and really not great and even horrible for others. And, you know, it's like a corny thing and I'm, I'm so uh, idealistic, but I'm ready. You know, I'm I'm ready to go on the field. I mean, this is it, this is the moment. I can kind of feel it in my bones. I think every leader needs to find that feeling because it's gonna happen with or without you and you should be part of it.
0: Wow, thank you. That's a truly inspirational message. Thank you for joining us. Our guest today was Brackendale, CEO of Logitech. Thank you. You've been listening to Innovation Nation. For more, subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcast player or connect with us on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.